in your pew Bible. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to use that. It's a red one in front of you, and uh, it's our gift to you. If you don't own one, we'd love for you to take that home, and it's our gift. It's not stealing. And uh, this is our second sermon in the book of Ecclesiastes, and I just want to say I'm encouraged that some of you came back after last week. Uh, man, going through Ecclesiastes, uh, some of you have questioned why is this book in our Bible, and uh, why is it here? You can understand why Ecclesiastes was written if you go back and listen to last week's sermon. We don't usually promote that, uh, but it is one of those sermons that will help you understand the whole book. We don't have the time to go into as much detail this morning about why Ecclesiastes was written, but let me give you a quick analogy, kind of catch you up. How many of you have driven on the wrong side of the road? All right, let me rephrase that. How many of you in other countries where to us they drive on the wrong side of the road, how many of you have driven on the wrong side of the road in either England, New Zealand, Ireland? Who's done that? Okay, great. You, you've tried that. Maybe even a stick shift? Who has been bold enough to rent a stick shift in England? Okay, <laughs> great. But you're from there, I heard. Okay, so, I, but I appreciate that. Yes, okay, so a friend from Scotland here, I believe, right? And, uh, and so he knows what it's all about to us. We drive on the wrong side of the road, and he could probably tell us more than the rest of us when he came to America or if we go to his homeland, how disorienting that can be, right? Sometimes even scary. And so, like an American, we'll say driving in Scotland, Ecclesiastes forces us to switch our sight to a different side of the road than we're used to. It forces us to change our vantage point in order to navigate the opposite streets. I mean, just looking at that picture, I am already intimidated. Are you? can imagine what that would be like. And that's exactly what the book of Ecclesiastes is going to do to us. There is a dad. He's a father, and he has a son, and he is using a preacher man who we've been calling the preacher man, and maybe some of you have it on the side of your margins in your Bible, but it, his name is from the word in Hebrew, Koheleth. Koheleth is probably there on the side of your margins, and it really just means one who assembles. So the Hebrew word, Koheleth, that's the preacher man. It means one who assembles, and it's from that word that we then go to a Greek word, and we get the word Ecclesiastes, it just means one who gathers. So it's kind of a jump to go from Koheleth, he's a person, he's the preacher man, his name means one who assembles. We translate that into Ecclesiastes, and the book is written because it means ecclesia. You've heard that for church, right? The one who assembles. And so this father is looking to this Solomon-like figure, and he's saying to his son, Son, look at this Solomon-like figure, and if he can't find meaning in life in all these other ways then son, you can't find meaning in life either. Now here is why it is so important to know that there is a dad who acts as our narrator and that there is Solomon, or we've argued the Solomon-like figure. Okay? Why are there two voices and how important that is? It's important because the dad, the narrator, is going to allow this preacher man to wax eloquently for 12 chapters. And he's going to allow the preacher man to drive down the opposite side of the road pointing out all the things that are vain, so that the dad can say, not everything is vain. 
So church, when you leave and you get into Palmer Hall and you're tempted to say, what was the message about? Vanity of vanities, everything is meaningless. That is not the message of the book. The narrator's message is not the preacher man's message. He's allowing the preacher man to show his son and point out, you see that? That's vain. That's vain. That's vain. Don't try that. That's meaningless. That's a rut. You're not going to get anywhere there. You're on a treadmill. You know, and he's going to go and point all those things out so the dad at the end, you have to wait till the end, can say, not everything is vanity. Life actually is meaningful. Life is full of hope. Your decisions do matter. As long as you look for life, not just under the sun, but above the sun, and we could even say as Christians, in the sun, Jesus Christ. So it's really a book that's disorienting because the preacher man is allowed to deconstruct all the dreams that we have so that it jolts us from our sleep as mere passengers. Who in here likes to sleep in a car ride? Hopefully you're not the driver, okay? Uh, but, you know, it doesn't take long for our car to get very quiet, okay? It's a joke that as soon as the car starts running, someone's, someone's nodding off, okay? And the preacher man here is trying to wake this young son from his sleep so that he's not just a mere passenger through life, but that he pays attention. Look with me at Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Let's read verses 2 through 3. This is the narrator introducing us to the preacher man's message. And so verses 1 through 12 or 1 through 11 is the introduction to prologue, but this is his summary of what the preacher man's going to say. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Are you ready for your first jolt this morning? The preacher man looks you right in the eye and he asks you this question, what is it all for? Martin Heidegger says the humans are the only living being who wonder about the meaning of life. And in order for our lives to be meaningful, we have to answer that question. What's it all for? What's the point? In the preacher man's words there in verse 3, what does a man gain? What does a man gain? It's the idea of making a profit, right? It's the idea of at the end of the day, after you've paid your debts, after you've worked hard, do you still have some money? Have you made a profit? What's left that has permanent value? The preacher man knows that we all want our lives to count, that we don't want it wasted. So if your neighbor today asked you, would you please stand in your driveway from 4 to 6 p.m.? What would you say? Why? What's it for? Why am I standing in my driveway from 4 to 6? It's natural to ask that question if your neighbor wants you to spend two hours standing in your driveway on Sunday afternoon. But Ecclesiastes is saying, have you asked that question about your life? Not just about your Sunday afternoons, but about your entire life. So here's the question, church. Can you answer that question? What is your life all about? How do you know that your life is not a waste? Typically, when people try to answer that question, they point to things that they do. Well, I know my life has meaning because I, I make some money, I provide for my family. Others say, I, I know that my life matters because I work to create jobs, alleviate poverty, I give to charity. 
And what the preacher man says is that all of those things fit underneath his umbrella here called under the sun. What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils? Our last phrase, under the sun. What does under the sun mean? It is his way of talking about things that are not above the sun. So he is ruling out for this whole book, heaven, eternity, God. It is his way of talking about an earthly perspective in which God is not taken into account. And he jolts us by saying, if you are going to try to find meaning in this life without God under the sun, it is like looking for a date in a cemetery. <laughs> looking for a date in a cemetery makes a dog chasing his tail look intelligent, right? And he is saying that if you are looking for life in that way, you are going to find that it is vanity. Now, I kind of put it to you in crass terms. Solomon, this preacher man, he's a great writer, even the father figure, a narrator. He gives us four verses that are poetic. Those of you that love English, you're going to love these four verses. The rest of us, just think looking for a date in a cemetery. All right, here we go, three through eight. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? He prompts us, he, he forces us to ask the tough questions in life, and now he gives a poem. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, they will flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eyes not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What's he saying? What's his point? In between life and death, that dash is an endless circuit. How many of you have one of these in your home? Satan's sidewalk. Okay, that's what that is. <laughs> they are great for hanging clothes on. They are great for collecting dust. They are great for a workout when your wife says, you know, let's move it out of that corner to a place where we will use it, right in front of the living room, right? And it stands there, and you trip over it, you put things on it, it becomes the landing pad for your shoes. Not that you're going to be in your shoes, but you leave it there. And what he is saying is a generation comes and a generation goes. What does that mean? Well, you give it a good run, but just like a treadmill, you get off, the next person hops on, they give it a good run, they get off, and yet it goes nowhere. So he moves from generations and humanity to even nature. Look with me at verse 5. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. This is so different than what the psalmist sees. The psalmist praises God that the earth, continuing on its cycle, sustains the universe. God, you are amazing for the creating the sun to do that. Here, the preacher man is going to hate on the sun for its monotonous repetition. Up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. It's like a drill sergeant, you know, and you're going, what's the point? Not even the sun, but also the wind is stuck in a rut. Look with me at verse 6. The wind blows to the south, goes around to the north, around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. Have you ever watched the meteorologist say on the news, you know, last night we had 20 mile an hour winds. Today, 
All out of wind. We're done. It ran out. No, it, it just gets, keeps going. It keeps blowing. And for what purpose? He goes also in verse 7 about the water. For all the earth's movement, you would think that something is actually being accomplished. But the sun never reaches its destination, and the seas never reach their limit. It's the same thing happening over and over and over and over and over again. I'm sure you can feel that way in your own life. Perhaps you can identify with Phil from Groundhog's Day. A thousand people freezing their butts off waiting to worship a rat. What a hype. Not like they used to mean something in this town. They used to pull the hog out and they used to eat it. You're hypocrites, all of you. You got a problem with what I'm saying, Larry? Untie your tongue and you come out here and talk, huh? Am I upsetting you, princess? You know, you want a prediction about the weather. You're asking the wrong film. I'll give you a, a winter prediction. It's going to be cold. It's going to be gray. And it's going to last you for the rest of your life. You want a weather prediction? It's going to be cold. It's going to be gray. And it's going to last you the rest of your life. I think it sounds like New Hampshire, don't you? Okay, but it isn't just Groundhog's Day, okay? It happens to all of us. If whether you do the chores every day, you go to the same job every day, we feel like the rent cycle of our lives are stuck on repeat. And for all the activity, what do we feel like? A hamster on a wheel, getting nowhere. Now, when we are confronted with Solomon's empirical evidence from creation, we don't want to believe this. We don't want to think about it too long. We don't want to think that our life is ultimately meaningless and all that we do, there is no profit. And so like the great court supreme justice, Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr., this is what he wrote to a friend. If one thinks coldly, a modern man has to admit there is no reason attributing to man a significance different in kind from that which belongs to baboons or a grain of sand. He goes, there's nothing to make us think that we're better than baboons or a grain of sand. And then he goes on to say this. When you begin to think like this, it's time to go downstairs and play solitaire. Time to go downstairs and play solitaire when you can't answer life's big questions. But the preacher man is not going to let you get off that easy. He's not going to allow you to escape. He knows our stock answers, and he's ready for them. Like Justice Holmes, some of us cope with the meaningless in life by looking for pleasure. Stop thinking. Start enjoying. Fill your calendar up. Do whatever comes next. Always are looking for the next coolest option to do. Don't ask the big questions in life. Just live for the moment. KCK responded to a New York Times columnist, Tony Schwartz. You might know his name because he wrote the book, The Art of a Deal, and he wrote it with Donald Trump. Instantly became a millionaire, made tons of money. But in the New York Times, he writes this article called The Enduring Hunt for Personal Value. So he succeeded, he wrote a book, he's an author, it went viral, everyone bought it, they, they, they sold millions of copies. 
Went to New York Times bestseller. Now, years later, he's still writing for the New York Times, and his article is The Enduring Hunt for Personal Value. Now, somebody responds, Casey Kay, to his article on the side column, and this is what she says. When the Hubble Space Telescope pointed to a black dot in the sky about the size of an eraser head for a week, it found 30,000 galaxies over 13 billion years old with many trillions of stars and many, many more trillions of inferred planets. How significant are you? You are not a unique snowflake. You are not special. You are, not, you are just another piece of decaying matter on the compost pile of this world. Nothing of who you are and what you will do in the short time you are here will matter. Everything short of this realization is vanity. So here's her conclusion. So celebrate life in the moment. Admire its wonders. Love without reservation. Ends on a real happy note. And accept its inevitable end. This is written in 2015. It's modern people trying to figure out what is the meaning in life. But the preacher man won't let you stick with that. Look at verse 8. This is his reply to those of you that think you can find meaning in life with pleasure. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. This is his point, our first outline point this morning. Under the sun, look, there is nothing gained because there's nothing that satisfies in the world. Now certainly if a man could be satisfied, it would be Solomon, correct? It's a combination of Bill Gates and Hugh Hefner kind of put together. And listen to the language of addiction in verse 8. An eye is not satisfied in seeing. The ear is not filled with hearing. It's a language of I want more. And so we tend to believe that if I just got this candy bar, if I just had that cigarette, this drink, that dose, this fix, this new car, that house, this career, that person, this life, then I'd be satisfied. But are you so new in the search that you think fun or pleasure could be sufficient for providing the meaning to life. Are you so new? Have, have you not spied out any of its false promises? He's saying you're never going to be fulfilled. Men, would you ever say to your spouse, if my team just wins the big game, I'll never need to watch sports again? Would you ever say that? Ladies, would you ever say to your spouse, if I just get this last handbag, this last pair of shoes, thank you, Linda, can I get a testimony, Ray? Amen, brother, blood, glory, glory, okay, hallelujah. Yeah, we could preach it, man, right? If I just get this last pair of shoes, I'll have all the shoes that I ever need. If you give a person everything he desires, at that very moment, he will feel that everything is not everything. Not only will this approach never deliver, but it'll also keep you from thinking. If you're here and you're a skeptic, if you're here and you're still trying to figure out what is Christianity all about, did you see how the judge, the justice, couldn't actually, he had to actually stop thinking. He had to go and do what? Play solitaire. So instead of changing his thinking, you know what he did? He put his head in the sand. Now maybe you're not as elite as a justice on the Supreme Court. But just this week, a neighbor of mine at the bus stop told me this. The only way I can deal with summer ending is that football is starting. 
That makes sense. <laughs> We're looking for some elders in our church to lead us in our spiritual direction. <laughs> and we've learned that as long as we don't compete with Sunday at 1 o'clock, church services will be full. All right. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't ready for that, Doug. Thank you for your honesty. But whether we escape uh, to sports or whether we escape to work or whether we escape to relationships, we all find out that it doesn't satisfy. So another attempt that we deal with when it comes to the meaning in life, what are you really accomplishing? I think another stock answer that we give is, you know what, I hope when all is said and done that I have made the world a better place to live. That's kind of what we hear. This is a song that I heard all of last year on the soccer field as well as in the school rooms that I taught, kids were singing this. That was my picture for Make the World a Better Place. Maybe you know this group, Fall Out Boys. This is what they sing. What's their line? You couldn't tell. Can't get a gaze like, I have no idea what that's about. <laughs> remember me for centuries. You will remember me for centuries. That's what they're longing for. If you're not familiar with the playground, perhaps you're more familiar with funerals because this line is also given at funerals. Ah, oh, this beloved person has made the world a better place. Her life really wasn't meaningless. Our lives were enriched. The world was enriched. The quality of life in the world has been improved because we knew her. You hear that, don't you, when you go to funerals? And the preacher man says, that is utter nonsense. Look at verse 11. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. What is his point? Look, there's nothing gained because there's nothing remembered in the world. I want to play a little game with you. Don't say it out loud if you know the answer. You have to raise your hand. What's the directions? Raise your hand. Who in here knows who that is? Seven? It was kind of... <laughs> Can you tell the background? It's right over there. You know who that was? The very first preacher at Faith Community Bible Church. Otto Palmer. That's going to be me. <laughs> this is my life's work and you're laughing at it. Who's he? What goes first is the author's name, then the title of the book, and then the work entirely. Mark Twain said, the world will remember you for an hour and forget you for centuries. <laughs> Completely opposite of Fallout Boy, which I would encourage you to read Mark Twain over Fallout Boy any day of the week. All of this isn't new. Look at verses 9 and 10. 
what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new, it has already been in the ages before us? What is he saying? There is nothing new. The world is stuck on repeat. The future is the past repeated. Now, we might balk at that because we say, wow, we're in the information age. We have invented things. We've landed on the moon. We've created an iPhone. But the idea here in this passage is, what does man gain from all of his toil? And so as you are looking at the seasons of life, the conditions of life, the temptations in life, the longings you have in life with being a human, nothing new takes place that really hasn't already confronted those that have gone before us. The preacher man is arguing, people are doing the same thing. So sure, an iPhone is new, but an owner is still an owner. And a product is still a product, and a salesman is still a salesman, no matter how it has changed. It's still new. Sure, we've landed on the moon, but people have always been adventurous and looking to cross the great horizon and to pioneer new territory. Nothing is new. What we are doing only feels different because it is you that is doing it. It is new to you. Now, for a second, let's assume that the preacher man is right. The only life is a life under the sun. Let's just believe that for a second, that the only life there is is a life underneath the sun. So here's the summary. You don't believe in God, but that we are accidents, and eventually we're going to be annihilated. There is no God. So according to the modern, secular mindset, your origin is insignificant. Your destiny is insignificant. But as long as you are here, we have to work for human rights, that every human is valuable, that there is justice for all, just like this sign that I saw in Concord this week on a discipleship walk. Steve Muzzy and I walked by a house, and it said, in this house, we believe black lives matter, women's rights are human's rights, no human is illegal, science is real. What's the middle one? Love is love, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and kindness is everything. You know what Steve Muzz and I walked by and I asked Steve? Based upon what? How can you say you believe that based upon what? If you're an accident and your origin is insignificant and your destiny is insignificant, could you please have the guts to say that your life is insignificant? It's like if you're on the Titanic and it's going down and everybody's about to drown. There's no hope of being saved. There's no rescue. And the captain comes running out and says, the boiler is about to explode. And if we get in there, we will save the ship from going down by two extra minutes. What do you say? Let's get in there. Let's, we got to go and solve this problem. I mean, if we can stop the boiler from exploding, we will live two minutes longer. No, that's not what you say. What do you say? It's already a tragedy. The ship's already going down. And so the preacher man has the real question of the age is not whether we can do something to stop racial injustice, nuclear war, poverty, or environmental waste. The real question all of us have to ask this morning is, is there more under, or is life under the sun all there is? Is life under the sun all there is? Because if that is all there is, then nothing you will do will mean anything. Let's pray. No, just kidding. That's a horrible way to end the sermon. What? Come on, guys. I know I'm sick, but not that bad. Right? 
compared to Jeff, I know I'm Debbie Downer, okay? I know that, but I mean, just right then, I mean, that would be bad, all right? Whew. What does it all mean? It's worthless, let's pray. All right, no. The preacher man, his job is just to ask you questions, okay? And you're going to get irritated by him because he doesn't give you answers. His job is just to ask you questions. You have to look to the rest of the Bible to find the answers. So far, Solomon has given us bulletproof empirical evidence that life is meaningless and on an endless cycle because there's nothing satisfying, nothing remembered, and there's nothing new. But what if the cycle of humanity was broken by somebody that entered into that cycle? What if there was somebody that wasn't just born and didn't just die, but actually was born into this cycle, died, but then rose again? Think about the significance of this. If there was someone who broke the cycle, then there could only be meaning found in him. There's one person that broke the whole cycle, this endless cycle of the world. Then you would have to say, if you're intellectually honest, that meaning has to be found in him. That's why Jesus says, I am the way, what? The truth and the life. Ecclesiastes is for those people that want to live again. And you have to look for the person that broke the cycle. For Solomon, the grave makes life meaningless. For Jesus, an empty grave gives life meaning. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. But because Christ is raised from the dead, you are not in your sins, and life has meaning. For Solomon, everything becomes futility. But for Jesus, hear this, everything you do becomes utility. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, to all the glory of God. For Solomon, nothing means anything. But for Jesus, everything means everything. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You see how you have to get to the end of the matter? For Solomon, if this life is all there is, you will never be fulfilled. But in Jesus, you will never thirst again. John 4, 14, whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. For Solomon, if this life is all there is, there is nothing new. But in Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. For Solomon, if this world is all there is, you'll be forgotten. But if you are in Jesus Christ, your name will be remembered for eternity in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation 21, 27. Nothing unclean will enter into it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. For Solomon, life under the sun is brief and it is bleak. But life through the Son is eternal and joyful. Matthew 25, 23, his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Life under the sun. What does a man gain? 
Well, Christ asks you a different question. What does it profit a man if he were to gain the whole world and lose his soul? The piano players in the coffin play through a song once. Part of what we have heard that our church loves, and we encourage you to consider, is to take this moment. She's going to play through the hymn one time. It's going to be a time of silence, time for you to reflect on where God has nudged your heart, for you to chance to seal those five seconds worth of obedience that you need. After that, we'll stand and sing the closing hymn, and we'll do announcements at the end and invite you to attend Sunday school with us. Thanks, Jim. Jesus, I come. 